Hey, welcome to 412 Connections. My name is Larry Grayway. I'm here with Heather Kroos, who founded this podcast a couple years ago, and it used to be called Mylar, My Look at Recovery. And we've kind of switched it up this year. We used 412 because it says this, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And we're here to talk about how mental health um, affects our lives and how we can recover and how we need each other as a part of that recovery process. And so again, I'm here with Heather and she's gonna get us kicked off today. Welcome back once again. We are joined with the incomparable Jennifer Grayway. Hello. And Spawn Micah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you first up henceforth be known as simply Spawn. Spawn. I can I can handle that. <laughs> so for those of you who were able to join us uh, with our last episode, this month we gave Larry the the month off or I took the month off from Larry, depending on who you ask, <laughs> so that we could focus on how mental health is illustrated in film and the media in general. And last time we focused primarily on different examples of TV shows and specific characters. And this time we're going to get into the movie side of things yeah it's more my sphere which is going to be interesting because I, this episode will be coming out shortly before halloween yes indeed it will and how often do we see halloween movies that are based on some type of mental illness being if yeah. If you really want to go through the list, we'll be here all day. <laughs> uh, no, we're good. <laughs> but there have been some really horrible yeah. representations. Well, I think that's where we have to start, which is we mentioned it in the last episode, in our TV episode, uh, but I think you kind of have to start where it all started with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Yeah, Psycho, which um, has even further drawn back context so psycho kind of birthed the horror genre that we know it today the kind of modern television and movie horror genre not just kind of horror literature which is a whole different can of worms um, but a lot of what psycho was going off of was and kind of even stuff like um because that came out in 1960 so yeah was it that way? Yeah, no, it was. But you're talking about movies from the 30s that portrayed mental health were horrible. I, I remember Micah telling me about the one... Bucket of Blood. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, but it's... Really, really where a lot of it started in terms of how, how Psycho became what it was was because of a, a serial killer, Ed Gein. Um, and most horror movies, like modern mental health or mental illness horror movies kind of draw from his story and a lot of actually the misinformation spread about his story view through stuff so stuff like silence of the lambs and psycho and things like that directly lift from the story that was very very misreported on um because ed shocker ed Gein a misreported was, um, story in the media <laughs> ed Gein was heavily abused by his mother and it led him to having very weird views about women um, which then led him to kill women, and he would never had any signs of mental illness or anything. He was just abused by his mother, and it gave him really stunted views on things. But that got reported multiple times from the media. People very early on started to pen stuff because of when that happened, pen like, labels on him for mental illness and right. insanity, and that he had multiple personalities, or that he wanted to be a woman... And so many of those things came out, um, and that kind of directly led to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, a killer with multiple personalities, one of which being a woman. Yeah, I've never seen it, and since I like to sleep on occasion, never will. <laughs> so any of the horror movies that we talk about, Heather is not going to have so it's, Well, yeah, but it's just very, it's very interesting, and I think notable from... A historical standpoint to right. be a lot of the bad tropes that started in the genre around the topic 
came from misreporting from the media. Um, looking something up because now I'm curious. Yeah, and I mean, even as early as the silent films um, and as you get into talking movies, as they were called talkies at the time talkies. when they came out, um, but you start to see some mental illness portrayed in those, like like Bucket of Blood. Yeah. Um, and I, we watched that movie, Micah and I watched it together, um, mm-hmm. and I was horrified. Yeah, it was, horrified. it was genuinely kind of a sickening movie to me personally. Oh, the bucket of blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you, you just, showed me pictures, just, and that was more than enough. Yeah. Well, it's just, and so, it's not even like the content of the movie as yeah. far as gore. I mean, and it's stuff a it's a comedy like horror movie from, but it's but it's how they treated what this was. It was like here here we are in I don't know probably the early thirties, and uh, and they this man obviously has a mental illness they bring it up in the movie itself well they bring it up by making fun of him and calling him you know like names and stuff right no and it, so they they he is really the, he bully is, him so, throughout the movie so again it's a it's a comedy di- uh, directed by Roger Corman who made very interesting not so great comedies in my opinion but the entire comedy essentially runs around the fact that there's this artist he's an aspiring artist and he doesn't understand people, and he doesn't get along with anyone, and he doesn't quite understand what he, t- he takes things too literally. He's not super f- like fond of crowds, um, and it makes fun and of him constantly for this. And he's obviously very socially. Um, um, and eventually, he misunderstood. Like he he accidentally kills someone and turns them into a statue, and then misunderstands people and decides to go on a killing spree. Why does it feel like if this was made now, he, he would be autistic? Yeah. Absolutely. No, like that's, Absolutely. That's I the, feel like that's exactly what they were trying to portray, but they didn't know what that was yeah, back I mean, they then. Didn't, by the time so, it was made, they didn't really have a whole lot of words to put to the things that they so wanted to. And so that's why I was horrified, because I'm like, what about what are we watching yeah, on the, the whole, screen? Yeah, the whole like, joke is... is supposed to be his character <clears throat> not understanding things right. So I just looked it up, because I was curious. And apparently the Joker was introduced to Batman back in the 40s. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's another one of those. Again, you're well, talking 30s and interesting. 40s. You know, I was actually thinking about the more recent version. Right. Interestingly enough, too, though, for Joker, is he did not actually start how a lot of his stuff is now. Right. When he no. first appeared in comics... He was just a guy who killed people with something that made them like smile. It was a poisonous gas that made people smile. He wasn't supposed to be portrayed as being like, ooh, crazy or right. anything. He was just a like that was back when Batman stories were much more straight like straightforward detective things. Right. Um, so that Joker kind of fit into that and then kind of evolved over the years. So it's interesting that in the 40s they did not portray that as a mental illness. Yeah, I mean it was just a thing, yeah, it was just a way now, he killed people. In the newest Joker movie, they've kind of taken it that direction. <laughs> so we've kind of gone oh, backwards. <laughs> Joker. So apparently Arkham Asylum first made its appearance in October of 74. That doesn't surprise me. And I just I have so many oh. issues. Yes, no, there's <laughs> a arc. <coughs> well, as you should, <laughs> as as yeah, you should. It's interesting if we're if if we want to touch on Joker some because that's a that's an interesting that's movie all around, and that's on our poor, list. Poor <laughs> examples of because because again, what I find interesting about a lot of these examples that we've talked about, um, even the last episode and this episode is, again, it's so easy to kind of draw the lines to where they came from and how a lot of them I don't even think are meaning to be as awful as they are and end up being so much worse because of it. Like, Joker, one of the big reasons people make fun of Joker so much is it's incredibly derivative of The King of Comedy, um, which is a Martin Scorsese movie, and it follows the plot of The King of Comedy almost exactly 
And I, I mean, I've seen King of Comedy, but I haven't watched Joker. Yeah. I have not seen King of Comedy. Skip Joker. You'll you'll thank everybody. <laughs> and one thing that's interesting about King of Comedy is is it also runs into some of the same issues that Joker does. It portrays its main character, Rupert Pupkin, as essentially making up situations in his head and kind of getting blurred on the lines of reality between like who he's actually talking to and who he's not. Um, but one of the things is like it tries to very much not make it this big fantastical thing. Rupert Pumpkin, Rupert Pupkin, sorry, to some extent is supposed to be a rather sympathetic character who gets kind of drawn into the very unhealthy relationships that people can get with celebrities. The uh, I just lost the name of that phenomenon. The unhealthy relationships between somebody who thinks they have a stronger relationship with a celebrity than they do. Stalking? No, there's an actual there's an actual term for it. Yeah, but they I know be- what you're talking about because that's actually why John Lennon got killed. Yeah, by it, and it and it much more explores that, and it's still not great. Again, the way Rupert Pupkin just is is kind of still there, but it does a lot better of a job. Where then you take Joker who is just trying to draw from. It's directed by a director who is, in my opinion, not a very good writer-director, um, who pretty much just wanted to rip off a lot of the stylistic things from movies he thought were cool. And it became a very surface-level adaptation of almost beat-for-beat beat The King of Comedy while making Joker be like this, ooh, look at him, he's stepping towards becoming the Joker. So I have now watched it since it came out. As I was telling Michael earlier, I have a list, and I was like, "Yeah, why not? It's not going to cost me anything." Mm-hmm. But it did. It did. On so many levels, and that movie, because everybody was panning it, and typically when people are just lambasting a movie, I go watch it because in my mind it can't be that bad, and yet I should learn. It's the same reason I finished Joker and the or Catcher in the Rye. Because <laughs> I kept trying to convince myself it's a classic. It can't be this bad. It can. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that bothers me with just the Batman DC universe is the whole idea of Arkham Asylum, where all of the bad guys get sent to the insane asylum. And then you have the doctor that I can't think of his name, who's also a villain. Mm, yes. Um, oh, man, what is his name? At Arkham? I think it's Doctor Strange. Is it? Yes, because it's always confusing that there's two Doctor Stranges, but there's a villain in um, DC whose name is Doctor Strange and runs Arkham Asylum at some point. That's, yeah, it's just disturbing. Well, Doctor Arkham is the guy who started Arkham Asylum. Yeah, Hugo Strange. Hugo Strange, yeah. That's it. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I can't remember that other than the fact that I like the actual Doctor Strange because <laughs> the, the, the Marvel Doctor Strange yeah. instead of the DC Doctor Strange. But it just, it kind of lends itself to another movie that is on our list, One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. And I have to admit, watching it as an adult, a lot less traumatizing than watching as a child. <laughs> yeah, we did and, not end up getting to this one, unfortunately. So the whole idea behind this, and from what I have heard, and I don't know that it is true, but from what I have been told, that it is actually based, the, the hospital that they used is, was based off of Central State Hospital here in Georgia, mm. which in its heyday had its own fire department and police department and its own community. And I'm very, very thankful that these places have been closed down because they were, I digress. So not anyway. good. They were not yeah, good. Let's yeah. just let's just say that <laughs> they were really bad. So the the whole idea behind this is the the guy I cannot think of his name, but he he's played by Jack Nicholson. His character okay. gets into some trouble, and so to get out of going to jail. He decides to plead that he insanity, and he gets sent to the hospital, and he's trying to prove to everybody that he's really crazy, so he doesn't have to go to jail. Yeah. And the problem is, he probably would have been better off going to jail, 
in, in all honesty. And it really does show you the punitive and abusive relationship between the staff and the people that are there. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in that that it, it's really messed up. But they also show how the electric shock therapy was used as a punitive measure. And I get it. It's not the same now as it used to be. It's supposed to be more humane in the way that they do it. But given the fact that my aunt, who I have never met, endured that during the 60s yeah, as a child, my father told me he would never allow them to do that to his child. Yeah. And so, but watching that and, and then seeing that, and I don't know if you guys got a chance to see Primal Fear. Mm. It was almost like an updated. So the idea behind it, and I can't. I think it was Edward Norton who plays the kid. And the the whole premise behind it is this kid kills a priest who was abusing him. He was like nineteen years old, so he was basically your age, Michael. Yeah. And they catch him, and so he plays up this whole uh, multiple personality. And Richard Gere is the lawyer who takes on the case pro bono and basically gets him off. And it was just another one of those movies that it really bothered me. Yeah. How they use it almost as like an excuse and as a, a way to get out of trouble. Like a get out of jail free card, essentially. Well, one thing that's interesting, too, mentioning both of those. I didn't watch either of those, but what we did get to was actually Girl Interrupted, um, which which is a weird one that's, that falls weirdly in between <coughs> those two movies and kind of its portrayal of stuff. Um, yeah. It's, I, it's based off of a memoir, so that's an interesting kind of context that you have to kind of take into the movie. But at the same time, it's this weird mix, and this is just my personal opinion after watching the movie, it's this weird mix of, like, glorifying some things about the process and mental hospitals and institutions like that, but yet, like, really amping up on, like, horror movie direction when it benefits it. So there are scenes where it's, like, showing actually pretty much all, almost all of the, like, doctors and nurses and everything are portrayed as nothing but a good thing and there are multiple scenes where like the one sociopath character has a scene and it's like dun 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 and like tripping up with the direction and trying to get all ooh what's going on so it's this really weird movie and I could not nail it down tonally for what it was even trying to do yeah it was it was confusing because I don't know, and I get it. They were, they they wrote the screenplay off of this woman's memoir, so and I, I understand that they maybe weren't sure what to take the direction on. Yeah, but to to my understanding, this was actually in production, like essentially stuck at the script level for years because people did not know how to do it. People did not like Universal. I think it was bought the rights to make a script off of the book because the book was really popular, and they really wanted to do it. But like nobody had any idea what to do with it. One of my biggest issues with this movie, it is so frequently found on the good representation of mental health. Oh, well, I think on our list, because we made a list of good representation, poor oh. representation, and then just per representation of a mental facility. Yeah, that's where, it, like, that's it, where it's it, on It lands on our in the list. mental facility portrayal list, because I don't yeah. think it's... It's, it's not definitely a, not a good representation uh, as far as how the direction of the movie went. It may be, and maybe this is where they're putting it there, it may be a good representation in the sense that it it tells someone's story, but it doesn't do a great job of even that. So So, before recording this, I went and I looked at some of these lists, and the thing that I've noticed is that a lot of times, there's a couple others that we didn't watch for various reasons, but they they seem to see Girl Interrupted as a accurate portrayal of what it's like for someone living with borderline personality disorder. 
and I have issues with that. Especially, and it, it was really interesting, there's a website called The Mighty, and it's basically the Wikipedia version of any type of disability where people, although it is a little bit more moderated, and yeah. they had this listed, and it's interesting to see the differing opinions on people who think that it is a good representation yeah, versus those who don't, and what I have noticed is and this could be just my perception of things but it it feels like it's typically the younger female generation that's in that late teen early 20s that's been newly diagnosed and they wear it on their sleeve like a badge of honor and almost as an excuse and yes I because I was misdiagnosed for so many years I have done a lot of research into this and at the core, borderline personality is from a traumatic past and not learning how to deal with it because you are living in this very traumatic and oftentimes abusive household or environment and so you shut down and that's where a lot of the putting people up on a pedestal and then when they don't do what you want, getting knocked down and I hate the term but I can understand where they're coming from with the attention-seeking or manipulative behaviors when in reality it's just they're trying to get their needs met and they're not doing it in a productive manner. Yeah, they didn't oh, learn how to do it in a productive how, manner. So. Exactly, which is why I have an issue with the way that it's often referred. Right. Yeah. Also an issue, again, with like... I, I, I'll talk about this some. Like the way Girl Interrupted tries to engage with like any of its mental illnesses. You have the main character who's Winona Ryder and she gets, you know, quote unquote diagnosed with BPD. And like, it kind of treats the entire time the movie kind of treats it as just like something she needs to be like realizing to just like get up and stop moping around and that she's not she's it keeps on going like she's not really one of the crazy ones yeah whereas all of whereas all of the other people are like all of the other like especially man it really bothers me the way they um portray like sociopathy in this um and with and like all of the other characters are supposed to be like such like oh man yeah society really will never accept these people again but she just needs to be happy well at one point then the the head nurse or if that's what she's supposed to be um whoopi goldberg's character she she does she tells her you're just a lazy girl that just needs to and i'm just like Wow. The funny thing is, that was the one part of the movie that I didn't have an issue with because it is real. Yeah. If you. Oh, I mean, I get that, but. That was a real true to life scene that happens because, again, I've spent more than my fair share of time in psych hospitals from the age of 16 to 32. And a lot of times, what would happen, especially if you are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, that is how they treat you. Yeah. It's, and that I understand. It's just it's just the the concept well, of you just need to. Like, oh no, the concept not, is wrong, but it is it. true. Yeah, that's yeah. what I have issue. And with. the thing is, the thing is, it portrays Whoopi Goldberg's character as like an objective good. That's why I said it portrays like every nurse and doctor in the whole movie and as good, really not. Um, and that like they're just there to keep all of these people away from everyone else. It, it was almost like they had one who flew over the cuckoo's nest on one side of the pendulum and the staff of girl interrupted on the other side exactly. of the pendulum. Exactly. That's, oh, yeah. that's why I wanted to mention it when you were talking about one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. And the nest. other movie that we had listed on the uh, on that particular section of our list with, you know, portrayal of the psych unit or mental facility is... Um, it's kind of a funny story, which is also, mm-hmm. okay, so let's compare that. Girl Interrupted, true memoir. It's kind of a funny story. True story as well. So we have both from a different perspective of age, although they were pretty close in age. I, yeah, they were. Um, as far as when this happened to them. Because I think she he was, was still in high school, I think. He was she, a junior, senior in high school, and he was put on the adult ward because they didn't right. have enough kids to... And for her story, she had just graduated high school, so... Yeah, and I again, I have watched the movie and read the book, 
and I, I read the book before I knew it was a movie, and they did a really good job. I think that of the three movies that we had, it really did the best job. Yeah. Of 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 showing what it's like, or just in general. Both. Um, because it depends on what unit you're on. That's true. If you are on a more chronic unit, it's pretty much you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs, drooling in your oatmeal, or putting together puzzles. There's no structure. There's no anything going on. And then you have the other side of it where it's considered the acute unit. And that's where there's a lot more structure and very regimented with groups and activities where you like almost have to schedule one to go to the bathroom it's amazingly crappy but and it's a kind of a funny story the interesting thing to me was that legally that they were able to get away with having the adolescents and the adult unit right that kind of shocked me but he even mentions it in the book and the, the reason that that surprised me is when i was in colorado there we were housed in the same building, but we still had to be kept separated. Separate. But there was a point that I was the only adult, so that they ended up taking me over with the kids because they couldn't justify it, but only during that activity period. So right. it wasn't... Yeah. But I, I, sadly, the author of it's a kind of a funny story did end up taking his own life after... The fact, and I don't know what happened with Girl Interrupted. She's still alive, actually. We yeah. looked it up yesterday. So that that's encouraging. Yeah, I, she's... It, yeah, it was... When we get into some of the other mixed representations of how things were done, and Micah, I'm still kind of mad at you <laughs> <laughs> for mentioning this movie at all. It's. I think it's a very interesting and oh, kind of important movie culturally. It is a... Yes. Why don't you tell us about it, Micah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm into a lot of different movies, and one of the ways that I got into movies was um, through the Criterion Collection. And one of the big directors in the Criterion Collection is John Cassavetes, um, who is very actually influential to Scorsese, who's one of my favorite directors. And it led me to getting the John Cassavetes five-film box set, and the one that I had heard the most good things about, and this is, I'm just giving context for how I personally got <laughs> on this got film. How got to this movie. Um, <laughs> was A Woman Under the Influence. Um, and it's a portrayal. Do you know what it, was, year? it was made in, I think, like 71. Okay, so we're back to the 70s. Yeah, it's yes. definitely one, in the 70s. One flew over the cuckoo's um, nest, I believe, was And 74. So, yeah. it, and I did some research into it after I watched it, uh, but. The actress who plays the main woman, um, Gina Rollins, uh, specifically came to John Cassavetes, who they had been working with a lot, and she wanted to make a film to kind of advocate, especially for how a lot of women were treated at the time, any kind of relation to mental illness and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Do you want to read the description of this movie? I, I can read <laughs> And they ended up, well, I wanted to finish what I was going for, Great. and they ended up making cool. a film to try and capture the mistreatment of women at the time. Well, they got that part right. So, yeah, if you want to read the... Mabel Longetti, desperate and lonely, is married to a Los Angeles municipal construction worker, Nick. Increasingly unstable, especially in the company of others, she craves happiness, but her extremely volatile behavior convinces Nick that she poses a danger to their family and decides to commit her to an institution for six months. Alone with a trio of kids to raise on his own, he awaits her return, which holds more than a few surprises. I would claim this (laughs) as probably the single saddest movie I've ever seen. I I would claim this as the single movie next to Pay It Forward that has pissed me off more than any other movie. Well, Pay It Forward also had the sad ending. It wasn't even a sad ending in this one, though. No, like, this movie is genuinely kind of hard to get through. Um, (laughs) 
Thanks for warning Heather on that one. I, you know, when I said, I was just throwing movies out there that I thought would relate to the subject. See, okay, so here's the problem, because I don't really show her struggles in a way that felt genuine. Yeah. But he is so abusive to yeah. her. I was right? about to say, I would definitely agree and my my one big criticism of the movie is that even even for what they were trying to go for, it does not do a great job all the time of characterizing her and like trying to make her struggle. Or and I don't think they really knew what they were going for with it. Um, so again, that kind of comes talking, off. You're talking mid seventies, and and then they did. And again, she wasn't she like Gina Reynolds wasn't even specifically explicitly wanting to make something about quote unquote mental illness. She wanted right. to make something specifically from her experiences and some of her friends' experiences of how men had treated women. I will be honest because what I know about history and women's rights and the fact that back then. You weren't allowed to own property if you you were not allowed to have a job. You were not allowed to have your own credit card. No, it was all your husband's. And so, in the fact that all he had to do was call him and say, "Yeah, I want my wife committed," and they, they drag. Did it. Yeah, I was about to say they drag her away and completely like do implied very terrible things to her. But okay. the alone with a trio of kids to raise on his own, which lasted like. Two scenes. <laughs> yeah, of which he, he did a terrible job. He really did, and he's abusive to the children and then gives them beer. Yeah, no, he Nick, um, the character, is just an awful human being. Awful, he is yeah. he is terrible even to his co-workers. He's terrible yeah. to his wife. He's terrible to his kids. And then you see her finally come home, and he gets mad at her because she's not acting the way that she he wants her to act. And when they start asking her about what happened inside, and she starts telling him he doesn't want to hear it, and then just starts wailing on her again, I'm like, why? This is not yeah, okay. it's a genuinely, like I said, it's a really like kind of stomach churning, very sad movie to watch. But yes. I think it does a really, in my opinion, I think it's a really fantastically made movie. I think it does a really good job at what it's doing. It's not perfect, especially, again, because they didn't really know what they were making at the time. Yeah, they sure didn't. Um, but I think one thing that does a really fantastic job that really spoke to me personally is capturing how people were treated back then. Which is why we have the good examples, the bad examples, and this one I put under mixed. Mixed. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's definitely a mix because it, it, does a, it does a good job of trying to portray how things were, especially in the 70s. Yeah. Um, but it's just, oh my goodness, horrible, horrible people. It's, it's, <laughs> it's rough. It's very rough. Which, for a, a more current mixed movie... We have Bricked. Yeah, which is a brand new movie. Um, well, I think it's like 2022 or something. Uh, I think it was 2019, actually. If I... Oh, is it that? I thought it, I thought it was in the 2020s, but I could be wrong. Um, I'm going to double check, but I'm... 2019. Pretty... Yeah. And this one was made uh, to kind of break the stigma of talking about mental illness in Ew. the African-American community. In the description, a high school graduate battles with bipolar disorder. That's that's the whole description? That was what it had under... If you go down to the IMDb, an ambitious grad finds himself in turmoil within his family as he battles with his recent diagnosis, bipolar disorder. So this one was... Um this one was a struggle for me, I, I and I know you didn't finish it because it was a struggle for you as well. I did finish it. Um, I, I got two-thirds of the way through before it, I gave up. I was about to say, I didn't watch it because I thought it looked really bad. Um, I mean, it's an independent movie. I had a very low budget. Uh, but at the same time, um, I, I applaud it for trying to do something that hasn't been done. Um and again, I read through a lot of articles about the movie from the interviews with the actors to interviews with the people that worked on it and why it was made. And so for that, I, I do like have to give them some you know, respect for that. Right. It's just 
I don't know, it, 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 it goes back to um, just because he, he is suffering from bipolar disorder, he's violent. Right. Which is not necessarily true of every person that has bipolar. Or even most. Like, um, so, like, the movie start, like, you start the movie, you start it in the first five minutes with the fact that he's beat the crap out of his brother without realizing it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where we start. We jump in with both feet to this and... So whereas, like, I applaud them for, like, trying to get this conversation going, um, I don't know that they necessarily took a good route with it, um, yeah. especially if you, if you, in the spoiler alerts for anybody that hasn't watched it, um, especially for, for the fact that the doctor he sees was his father's doctor. Oh, I didn't get that far. And because his father was trying to kill his mother, so again, bipolar disorder, he's killing, he's about to kill his wife, the doctor walks in on him and shoots him. Yeah. So, so the doctor that saw his father is now treating him, and the, I don't know, just there's this whole... See, I didn't even get that far and had ethical concerns. <laughs> yeah, there's a big ethical concern as far as doctor-patient thing, and I'm like, how did he get out of... How did he? How did he not get charged with murder in the first? I don't understand. But you know, they didn't go there in the movie. But it just—it was a—it was a very weird mix. And then the other person that he always saw when he went to the doctor's office for his for his time um, was a woman who uh, who had explosive no intermittent explosive disorder. That was her disorder. So again. We're going for the violent disorders. We're going for what's what's gonna show violence and right. mental illness. So part of my issues with this movie, and, and part of this is because as a certified peer specialist, some of the continuing education that I've done has been on cultural competency and the importance of understanding how mental illness is viewed in different cultures, which I mean, that's just part of who I am anyway. I like to learn about different cultures. Yeah. And part of my issue with this movie is how it is perpetuating a stereotype within that culture, which is only going to increase the likelihood that people aren't going to seek out help. Yeah. Which bothered me. Yeah. And you also had the fact that not only, apparently, was he his father's doctor, but they had the kid living with the doctor and his wife is a former patient. <laughs> it's just kind of like... Yeah, he's married to a former patient, yeah. That's, I, I know one... questionable that, things. That, that's not ethically okay in any shape, form, or fashion. Like, his license would get pulled. Yeah, I'm not sure how he was still a practicing doctor that people sought after, and he could still write prescriptions and everything. And that was <laughs> another thing that really bothered me, is where he's going in and counting the kid's pills to make sure that he's staying on his medication. Um, and that, that stems from my own personal experience, where people have often asked me, are you taking your meds when I was having a bad day? And ironically, the only times they asked were when I was actually being compliant. Whenever I had stopped taking them, nobody seemed to notice. They all thought, oh, you must be taking your meds because you're doing so much better. And while they can help with a lot of people, and I'm not disputing that, I, I fully believe that if you can find a cocktail that helps, if you need it, take it. But it's not for everybody. And so this was just kind of like almost reinforcing that stigma of the medication and everything else and... Yeah, not a movie I will attempt. No, I, I will say at the very end, like he after after everything's said and done, how they wrap it up does try and steer away from that. It does try and get you to the point where you're like, you, you look at this as I have to get this under control. Like I have to find how this controls so things like that won't happen. Right. So they do bring it to a place where that message comes across but it's in the last 20 seconds of the movie so yeah i'm, I'm not gonna try <laughs> so just fast forward to the last 20 seconds listen to his little speech and you... <laughs> um. <laughs> but because we do 
actually have a pretty decent list of good examples. Right. Yeah, I was surprised we found so many to put on that list, actually. I was happy that we could. And not all of them are newer movies, which I'm kind of excited that there are a few. And then there's one that I question, but Michael likes it, so we left it on a good example. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for uh, one that a lot of people I don't really think about... Is Disney and the way that they have really stepped up their game with tackling some of these social issues in their animated features. Um, I know a lot of people don't like Inside Out, which I love it, so get over yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let, just talking about Disney in general, Disney animated movies have always started in a place where, you know, some sort of tragedy happens. Truth. Um, well, Pixar Pixar is what made Inside Out, and Pixar, um, specifically who headed up this movie, Pete Docter, made this movie specifically because he had a young daughter growing, like, who was starting to grow up, and he was trying to understand what was going on inside of her head, <laughs> so really he decided a... <laughs> he decided to make a movie about it. Nobody understands what goes on in, through the years of um, puberty. But Pete Doctor, is a really, <laughs> Pete Doctor is a really thoughtful guy. I really like his work as, as since he's kind of headed up Pixar. Right. And see, for me, one of the reasons that I really gravitate and like Inside Out, and I actually just rewatched it again recently, I don't understand emotions. They do not make sense to me. I have them much to my chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the reasons that I, I really want to applaud Inside Out is because of the way that they show the importance of sadness and right. how often joy is a bully. Yeah. Right. No, I think they do a good job with that because, again, at that moment in the movie when Joy realizes why, like the other side of the story, mm-hmm. um, that's that aha moment of, oh, well, the sadness is part of what made her who she is. Yeah, and it's really interesting, too, that it kind of developed that way because... Um, I know a lot of what Pete Doctor put into why Joy is the way that she is. In fact, she was going to be even more. She was going to just be the villain of the movie originally. I mean, um, I can see that. <laughs> and, like, the reason she he wanted to do that specifically is he saw how much social pressure was being put on his daughter to be happy Absolutely. all the time. Um, Which is not realistic. No. I was about to say that she couldn't For do anyone. anything else but be happy or people would get upset with her or think she's having, like, that it's an issue, essentially. One of the things that I, I thought was interesting, and especially as I think about it now, is that they didn't vilify fear and they didn't vilify anger Mm-mm. at all, which a lot of times those are two of the emotions that people want to, especially anger. Yeah. And even... Like they they couldn't stand up to joy, but they were allowed to exist. And disgust was like <laughs> she was just the comic relief. <laughs> Every popular teenage girl ever basically <laughs> rolled into one. And but it it did it it helped me understand. Okay, it is okay to feel these different things. Right. And I think that was amazing, especially when it came out. I remember a lot of people applauding it in the autism world because it was helping kids learn how to identify what they were feeling and they could point to the characters. And speaking, uh, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, Encanto was Disney, not Pixar. Yes, Encanto is a Disney movie. Specifically Disney. Not so. Inside Out was Disney (laughs) Pixar. Well, it's... Pixar, like you got to put the Disney on it. They're their own studio. I know, Whatever. but it has the Disney name on the case too. So. Nah, and it, yeah. it's on Disney Plus, so leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but Encanto is another one. No, that... Encanto is an interesting pick for, and I've had us. I've shown this list to a few people, and they've all looked at me funny when I mention Encanto, and I'm like, but you got you got to look at the whole story because if you you have Abuela. 
And that's where the generational trauma comes in. Because, And again, this is so culturally, because I know this culture very well, accurate. And I think that in and of itself is amazing. Although when I went and looked up the ages, I was kind of surprised that Mar- Mirabelle. Mirabelle is only 15. In, in the movie? Yeah. That actually surprised me too. I didn't know she was supposed to be that young. Uh, yeah, I didn't either, which explains why she was still in the nursery. Yeah. Because that was one of the things that always kind of like, why do you have an adult in the nursery? Well, even at 15, she, that would have been her quinceanera, so. Right, and I think that was part of it, though, because Abuela didn't see her as an adult. And so she was kind of shunned and constantly being told, you're not good enough. And so there, that is what everybody looks at. But when you look at some of the other characters, like Bruno, we don't talk about Bruno. And he still wants to be a part of the family. And so he's he's hiding in the walls and he's still there. And he even like makes his own little persona when Mirabel comes up to him because he... But they finally, they end up bringing him back into the fold. And then you have Isabella and Luisa. The, you know, the one that has to be perfect all the time. There's a is constantly putting down Mirabelle and pushing her away. Whereas Louisa, and honestly, I really identified with Louisa. Yeah. Probably more than any of the others because I, I get what that feels like to always have to be the strong one, always have to be this person that, because that's what it felt like I had to be. Either I had to be strong or I was a screw up. There was no in between. Yeah. And so... And then, oh, I can't think of her name. It's the the cousin that hears everything. Oh, um, no, I'm blanking on her name. <laughs> We're all <blanks>. um. <laughs> But, like, like, for her, the, it, it was such impactful, like, because I can relate to that with the sensory issues. And I, I think that it, it really gives people the chance. And if you... I don't have the article in front of me, but I remember reading it and they actually break down how each of the characters are following a very specific trope in that culture, breaking it down because they're trying to break down some of these barriers. Yeah. And I, it's one of the reasons. Well, why and I, I think in the process, they hit a lot of mental health topics. So, like, you hit depression, you hit um, the the. I mean, I just, the scene where they she goes in the walls and, and sees how Bruno's been living, I just, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, like, the amount of depression this man had, like, it's just, it's, like, those are things that you look at that and you're like, oh, Encanto is such a fun movie, and I'm like, well, yeah. yeah, it is, on one hand, but on the other hand, it touches on so many serious topics, Yeah. Um, and a lot of mental health topics are in there. So some of the other movies that we have, and I I really liked uh, A Man Called Otto, which that one just came out relatively recently. Yeah, it's actually 2023, I believe. Um, it was either late 2022 or early 23, because it, it wasn't that long ago. And I remember seeing it in the theater. And it deals with suicide and grief. And I... But more than that, it talks about the importance of having the connection. Yeah. And you get to see this guy's story. And I love Tom Hanks in it. <laughs> so that in and of itself was going to make me go watch it. But watching like how this family basically comes in and adopts him as abuelo. Yeah. And he becomes part of their family. And at the end of the movie, he, he writes a note. To let them know, hey, look, this was natural causes. I didn't. Because she walks in on him and stops him more than once. And they don't really talk about it. They don't bring it up. She does, but she doesn't. And I think think that was kind of an important thing. Because if you do know someone is struggling with it, you can't be afraid to talk about it. You can't try to walk around it or ignore it. You need to talk about it. But do it in a respectful way, which is something that, that she did really well. 
Yeah, and I think that's important, too, because it kind of shows people that it's possible. It's yeah. possible to do, to have that conversation and to still support someone um, without yelling and getting angry and, you know, going 5,000 miles per hour when they need somebody to go 10. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, speaking of suicide and movies <laughs> after sun Michael, yeah. because another one after yeah it's a very interesting it's a very interesting movie after sun it's very recent it was from a first-time director and writer um charlotte wells right and it got quite like it got a, quite a bit of attention for being an independent first-time movie it got nominated uh for an oscar for paul mescal's performance um, and this is one that we all three watched. <laughs> and it's very interesting, too, because the people who I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of people about this movie out of curiosity. And, like, it was written by um, Charlotte Wells, who was specifically writing about a lot of her experiences with her father, who right. died by suicide. So he um, did. Yeah. Um, like her actual, like the father. Her actual did. dad, yeah. Um, and a lot of those experiences and stuff go into it. And it's very interesting because almost every person I've talked to, uh, if they're like closer to my age, they like the movie. And if they're closer to like parents' age, like they didn't age? connect to it as much. Which <laughs> being written by a younger person about their relationship with their parent is interesting (laughs) well and to me for this one this was a tough one for me to get through um it it is a very artistic take like it's yeah it's not a straightforward story it's um it's a lot of imagery and uh feeling um but again being someone who battles with depression uh, it was a hard one for me to to kind of get through and watch, um, and, and I think more so. It's not that I didn't like it; it's that it was a struggle to watch it. I just had a hard time watching it because of the way it was very disjointed. Yeah, so I did a whole video essay on this movie. I know. I, I, I watched it or tried to. <laughs> I did a whole, like, I, I really personally like this movie a lot and kind of what it's going for, especially as a de- directorial debut. I think it's got a brilliant understanding of direction and writing and pacing. And I do genuinely think Paul Meskel's performance is incredible. And I think he deserved to win that Oscar, <laughs> which he didn't. Which he did not. Um, but... The yeah. F- the funny thing is, the same reasons that you liked it were the reasons I had a hard time with it. Yeah, which is interesting too, because I feel like it's a movie. Like on the first, the first time I watched the movie, it definitely got me. Like it got me very emotional, and I was mm-hmm. very much into the movie. And me and Robbie watched it together. Robbie, my brother, um, and we were very emotional and just like silent when we finished the movie and then in later watches like the more we the more I watched it and everything the more I could kind of pick up on why it made me feel that way so it's not a movie that's very easy to understand what it's exactly doing because for all intents and purposes it's a series of relatively happy memories played out to an open ending end see I think that was part of the reason why I had a hard time with it is because I, I lost my dad a few years ago, and we did not have what you would call a close relationship. Yeah. And so watching the two of them interact, in some ways it reminded me of the relationship that I had with my dad growing up, and then later as an adult, how I would try to be involved with him, but he was always kind of not yeah. really into that. And he would try. But he wasn't exactly a very emotive person. And so I think that may have been... But honestly, the the, it was the camera work at times, the, the... 
Well, and the whole say, video. I think the cinematography of the movie is brilliant. It was just so jarring for me. Yeah. And so it was hard for me to get lost in the movie, which is what... Yeah, which yeah, that, no, that, very, totally that, very, that. that very same effect is what made me get lost in the movie. So I feel like that's just kind of how you end up engaging with the movie. Because it's, I mean, I totally understand not getting or not like fully getting into what it's going for. It's a very odd movie for all intents and purposes. So another good movie that had that similar kind of weird camera work was Words on a Bathroom Walls. Mm. Okay, so we're going to go there, yeah. But honestly, with that one, it made more sense to me because the topic of being schizophrenia and with that, because I, I know people that has schizophrenia that have talked to me about what it's like living with it. Yeah. And because when you don't get enough sleep, you get to see some really interesting things. I was able to relate better to it than I was after Son, and I think that might have been part of the reason that... Yeah, and I think just like we talked about, um, I think this made our good portrayal list because just like we talked about in the TV episode um, with Perception them actually taking the time to try and portray schizophrenia correctly. Yeah. Um, they did that here, only they did it with a younger person. So it's um, it, it's a it's a refreshing look yeah. at um, let's not let's not go stereotype here. Let's not say this is going to happen and then how they wrap it up at the end just I mean, it brings me yeah. to tears every time I watch it. Was, it. <laughs> it was very interesting, too, because we had just watched... Um, I don't know if we ended up putting it on our list of bad examples. I don't think we did. I forget even what it was called. But we literally just watched a movie that was about a teen with schizophrenia. Was it Donnie Darko? No. <laughs> it was specifically about a teen with schizophrenia that was literally like it was a horror movie. And it Which, was... Donnie Darko, I love the movie... Because it's just weird and bizarre, and I, I have fond memories from the time that I watched it younger. Yeah. But it's another one of those movies that they, they never come out and say that he's schizophrenic, but the way they portray it kind of gives that negativity of having schizophrenia that bothers yeah. me. The, the character of Donnie is not one that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, Fear of Rain was the, what the movie was called. We just we had um, just watched we that had one. We had just watched this I movie. I never heard of it. Well, we didn't add it to the we list were, because it was a bad. Like it yeah, was it was, it was a bad, bad movie. It was it was <laughs> like it was just doing all of the wrong things about its portrayal of schizophrenia, yeah. um, in terms of like literally like literally it was a horror movie just based on the fact like that she, that had, she schizophrenia. had schizophrenia. Um, yeah. And then we watched Words on Bathroom Walls, which felt like such a breath of fresh air comparatively, even though it's not a particularly pleasant movie. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not, but like when you're living with a, a, an illness like schizophrenia, it's not pleasant. So like it was, it's not a pleasant movie because of that. And it portrays it realistically in such a way that... The interaction with his uh, mom and then having a, a man in her life now and then that kind of how you manage that and going to school and you know whether he's seeing taking his meds or not and it's so it's just that battle that constant um battle of but it's 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 definitely on the good portrayal list which was going back to our previous episode where we talked about perception part of the reason why i liked it is because it showed that sometimes it's not a bad thing he had this imaginary girlfriend that he had had from college on based off of a chance encounter with some girl that he saw across the quad that he didn't have the courage to talk to and so sometimes and that's part of the reason why people don't always want to take medication Mm -hmm. is because they have learned how to cope with their world. A Beautiful Mind is another example that's not on this list and has been a very long time since I watched the movie where it, it got to a point where he would ask somebody, is, is there somebody there with me? Yeah. Because he, a lot of times schizophrenics do get into that paranoia and that's why it's called 
paranoid schizophrenic, whereas right. not all schizophrenics are. And, and another really good movie that I wish they had gotten an actor who was actually on the spectrum, mm. but you could tell they had talked to people when they wrote it, Please Stand By. Mm. Yeah. The, the only movie on the list with a female with autism. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very. One of the few portrayals that you see of a female with say, autism. The only, the only other one I can think of is music, which is on our very uh, bad list that we didn't talk about. It. Yeah, I figured yeah. it's it's not even worth talking about. Worth Everyone it, yeah. hates that movie let's, anyway. Let's not bring that one up. <laughs> back, back to Please Stand By. <laughs> one of the reasons that I like Please Stand By is that she she's it feels like a fully fleshed out character and you see how her sister discounts her because of where where she's at right and then by the end of it they're like oh well wait a minute and the, the she makes it all the way out there with this ridiculously long script she does it and she's able to do this and she and you see where she gets mistreated and taken advantage of. And so, but she doesn't give up and she has a goal and she sticks with it. And so I thought that was, there were ways that it could have been done better, obviously. Yeah. But I think overall it was a really good representation, which, again, gave me some hope. And I, I think that's one of the things that we really need to see more of when we're watching film and we're watching television and reading books and comic books is seeing more people across the board with varying mental health issues, whether it is a, a full-blown mental illness or maybe they're just struggling with a, a bout of depression. Yeah. And recognizing that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being on the autism spectrum. And I get that a lot of people don't want to associate that with being a mental illness because in their mind, it's just a different neurotype. It's not that there's something wrong with you. Well, newsflash, it is in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There, It's not saying that you aren't you are less of a person just like saying someone who's epileptic there's nothing less human about them yeah. than there is and i'm going to let jennifer talk <laughs> no it's good and i i like that um i like that you're wrapping it up in this direction because it's it's been too long in coming through media that we open a conversation um, about neurodivergent versus neurotypical, how that looks. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What are we looking at? How can I understand this better? How can I not just say, oh, you're weird. I don't like you um, because okay, you're I'm different sorry. than me. <laughs> how can I say, okay, what makes you different for right. me instead? And how can I understand that so that I can understand you? Well, well at the end of the day, a lot of these movies, like if you break down kind of a lot of our list, even the best ones are often the ones that are specifically there to try and understand and show a good way for other people to understand what people are going through, both on our movies and TV. They're trying to portray the people as people. Right. And the worst examples are almost always ones that are trying to use it to convey something that they just wanted to tell. Using it to convey horror because people are scared of it. Using it to convey comedy because people think it's funny using it to do all of these different things, using it as something instead of a person with the something. Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest problems that we have right now is that it feels like everybody wants to compartmentalize their life and that they, they want to find their little niche group so that they can be unique and different 
but at the same time they still want to fit in and so they don't want to see that they share traits like we were talking about last time with you and Sam from Atypical. Yeah. And you can relate to him even though you're not on the spectrum because he's a fully fleshed out character. Exactly. And I think that's what we really need to work more towards is that this is a part of the character. It's not the whole part. That's not all they are. Yeah. Their diagnosis doesn't define them. (laughs) I know. What? What is wrong with me? Somebody should like do talks or maybe even like picture uh, photography books about that. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe. Or or this this kid I know needs to write this screenplay. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us, and I, I hope you will consent to coming back next year because I'd really like to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up. We got one more episode after this, and I, I may let Larry come back. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for you guys that have been out there, thank you for sticking around. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes or you want to come on and join the conversation please feel free to reach out the contact info is at the bottom of the description of every episode so until next time have a great day